This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM radio, where we love our listeners, even if they don't love us back. Um, if you're just tuning in, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and Darrell Jazz Johnson. And we've been having a great show. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us on this Sunday morning now afternoon. And we're just going to move the show right along because I think it was like, 31 people so far, um, at least, have died in the past week because of the flooding, the historic flooding that's been going on in Texas and in Oklahoma. The majority of people actually died in Texas. Um, and then you have a handful of people who died in Oklahoma because of these massive floods. In Houston, many highways turned into waterways and more than 1,000 cars were submerged underwater. Uh, the damage became so extensive, extensive that Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, declared nearly 40 co- counties disaster areas. In addition, President Obama pledged to offer federal assistance to help the state's recovery and cleanup effort. So... While this historic, these historic floods have been hitting Texas um, just after they started recovering from an extreme drought, scientists like Bill Nye, the science guy, him and a lot of other scientists have been using this disaster as an opportunity to start the dialogue about climate change. And I just want to say Bill Nye made a great point. He went on CNN and he was like, you know, the one thing that meteorologists are not talking about and cannot say while they give these reports is the word climate change. They just can't do it because it's quote unquote polarized in our society. And it shouldn't be because 97 percent of all scientists internationally around the world agree that climate change is contributing to extreme weather patterns and it is man made. But despite the facts, despite the truth of the matter, you have a number of Republican right wing politicians Uh, especially those who are running for office in 2016 to be president, they're saying, you know, well, I'll give you an instance. Uh, Texas Senator Ted Cruz actually said, uh, and I quote, uh, he's been criticizing people who've been talking about climate change. And he says, quote, he's been calling them global warming alarmist. So people like Bill Nye, the science guy, and people like the 97 percent of the scientists who say, hey, wake up, world, let's actually do something about this tragedy. He calls them just global warming alarmists. You know, and it pisses me off to no end because like this, like we should be alarmist about this. Like we have California has no water in their sn- no snow in their snowpack at all. Like none. There's dry grass. They are in a huge major drought. Texas was in a huge major drought, and now they've been flooded out in a matter, you know, and actually, if you didn't know, right now in New York City, although it's supposed to rain today and tomorrow, we're currently experiencing drought conditions in the five boroughs over the past two weeks. And, you know, the reason why I I don't want to be like alarmist, but (laughs) it's like the reason why this is so important is because it affects a lot of different like extreme weather affects our food supply, our water supply, uh, a global commerce. Even you've had people like Coca-Cola have come out and said that global climate change is affecting the supply uh, of Coca-Cola and their ability (laughs) to produce their product. So that's getting more companies involved, not oil companies, of course, but, you know, more, you know, companies that produce consumer goods that are being affected by this issue. And ultimately, 
what's going to happen is we're if nobody does anything about this issue, you're going to see a situation where the food supply dwindles. People are suffering from really bad drought conditions. There's very little water. And I'm talking like maybe this is way off in the future, but eventually it leads to a situation where you have very little resources and a planet of how many be- nine billion people on the planet now all competing for very limited amount of resources because we decided not to do anything about this problem. Right. Um, and I, I want to actually open it up to our, our guest we have on the line. We have Ryan Towell, who is the Science and Solutions Director for the Climate Reality Project, which is a non-for-profit founded by former Vice President Al Gore that is devoted to solving the climate crisis. Good afternoon, Ryan. I know I butchered your last name. Can you please correct me? <laughs> Well, first of all, let me say thank you for inviting me on the program because, you know, this is a very important topic, certainly one that I care about. It's obviously one that you all care about, just hearing hearing the lead-up to my introduction here. And my last name is Towel, just like a beach towel, only with two L's. <laughs> there you go. That's not, you can't screw that one up. <laughs> well, you know, and I, what struck me with what you were just talking about, you know, Bill Nye and, and meteorologists not being able to talk about climate change. Well, I have kind of a unique perspective on that because I am a meteorologist, and I actually was a television meteorologist early in my career uh, in all places, Texas, <laughs> for a few years, and then Minnesota. And, you know, he's absolutely right. You have meteorologists that are afraid to mention climate change, even if, if you know, they they believe in it and they understand it and they understand the issue, because, again, you, you don't want to potentially polarize your viewers. You're trying to get as many viewers as possible. So, yeah, there's a real reluctance there of meteorologists to talk about climate change. And, and at least, you know, when we have these extreme weather events going on, talking about how climate change may have been a factor. But, I'm seeing a trend that more and more of these TV meteorologists are willing to talk about it, and they are willing to to have those conversations. They're, they're engaging with their their viewers, and they're engaging uh, with their followers on social media. Um, in Chicago, for instance, sort of the weather god of Chicago, Tom Skilling, he's on WGN. You know, he talks about climate change with growing frequency. And, you know, he tells his viewers and his followers on Facebook and, and social media that he's had a real change of thinking on climate change. You know, he was really skeptical in the 90s, but, you know, we see the trends, we see what's happening on our weather maps, things that we would only expect to see maybe once in our lifetime, and they're happening again and again. And it's really becoming difficult to overlook the data and the, the increasing amounts of studies that show what climate change is doing to our weather and and the impacts that it might have if we don't take action. Yeah, no, and you know, it, it pisses me off to no end when we have meteorology. I mean, this shouldn't. My point is, this shouldn't be a politicized issue. You're a meteorologist. Your job is to give people the facts about what the weather is and about what the climate is and how the cli- the climate and the weather are different, but how they're related. And to sure. say that you are not going to give people accurate information because you may offend their political sensibilities yeah. to me is just absurd. In fact, it's it's yeah. wrong. It's almost to the point where it's unethical. No, it. it is. I agree with that, Alyssa. But um, so, Ryan, I want to know, can you is there a strong correlation or any correlation between the floods and climate change? Well, 
here's the thing. You know, we don't look at these extreme events in isolation. The flooding in Texas now is unusual, to say the least. Um, even as of Friday, looking at the, the weather records, Texas has already surpassed this month, May 2015, being the wettest month on record. The records go back to the 1800s. So in Oklahoma, for instance, it's already the wettest May on record, and it was still raining yesterday across parts of Texas and Oklahoma. So those records are going to be exceeded even more. It's wrong to look at a single event in isolation. So you want to look at when we're talking about climate, you're talking about years, and you're talking generally about periods of 30 years or more. What's very clear are the trends. We're seeing a trend of heavier downpours. We're seeing a trend of the heaviest of heavy precipitation events occurring more frequently. Um, In the National Climate Assessment that was just released a little over a year ago, most of the United States has seen a significant increase in the frequency of of these heavy rain events. Uh, The central U.S., including Texas, has seen about a 16% increase over the past several decades of these events. So it would be wrong to look at a single event, but the trends are very clear that that climate change is having a very direct impact on certain types of extreme weather events like heavy rainfall, heavy precipitation, flooding, drought. You know, you mentioned drought in Texas. They had a multi-year drought from about 2010 through even this year. Much of the state was in extreme or exceptional drought. So now they've gone from that to much of the eastern two-thirds of the state seeing above normal rainfall and eliminating most of the drought. So it's, I've heard the term thrown around, weather whiplash, and I think that's pretty, pretty apt here. With climate change, we're seeing these extremes going from one extreme to the other. So it, it really is, it's hard for people to plan for that. It's hard for emergency managers to, to be able to keep up with these extreme weather events. Mm-hmm. Um, and so certainly, you know, looking at the trends, we're seeing it. We're seeing we're seeing how climate change is impacting us. We definitely are. Again, guys, if you are just tuning in, we have Ryan Towell on the line with us. He is from the Climate Reality Project, a nonprofit that is funded by Vice President Al Gore. Um, on that note, we are going to go on a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we're going to continue talking about the historic floods in Texas and how climate change is a factor right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. Uh, this is Alyssa Fuchs. I'm here with Selena Hill and with Darrell Johnson. And uh, we have our great guest, Ryan Towell, on the line. And we are talking about climate change and about Texas and about the floods and everything that's going on and how they're all uh, interconnected. I just wanted to mention, I like see a certain amount of weird hypocrisy in it, is that mm-hmm. you have a group of people that, you know, not everybody, I'm not going to say everybody in Texas, but you have a large group of people in Texas that for whatever, whether it's their political ideology or they're just like very anti-regulation and they see climate change as another way to be able to regulate industry, which is something that they don't want, despite the fact that, you know, that could mean ill effects later on, which may not even affect them, but may affect their children and their children's children. It really should be something about they care about because we only get one planet. Um, and yet, they're being now directly affected because a lot of times we say people don't wake up to these things till they're directly affected and they're finding other ways to pawn off the blame. I mean, I was reading an article the other day where a guy said that, you know, this is God's way of telling us we have too much stuff. It's not climate change. <laughs> God's just telling us we have too much stuff that we need to get rid of. And, you know, it's like, 
really? And then there's another level of hypocrisy in that it, it's like last week, Texas was getting ready to secede. And the governor of the state was talking about how Obama and was coming to round people up and put them in FEMA camps. And there's this whole scandal about how, you know, we needed the National Guard in Texas to monitor the military's actions. And now a week later, Greg Abbott's like running to the federal government like, oh, my God, we need help. And now people are standing on FEMA lines, <laughs> the same FEMA that they thought is coming to round them up and put them in the FEMA Walmart camp last <laughs> week. So there's like a certain amount of crazy to this also. It is. Um, Ryan, do you have a response to that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it would probably get me into trouble. But <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. You, you see politicians who are actively denying that either climate change is not happening or it's certainly not human cause. We have these natural cycles, so flooding, drought, it's always happened, which is true. It's true. But the change that we're seeing in our climate now is in largely proportional to the carbon pollution that we've thrown into our atmosphere We've, since the Industrial Revolution, thrown this carbon pollution into the atmosphere like it was an open sewer, and of course, now we're, we're seeing the impacts of that. We're seeing it through the, the warming of the globe, about a, a degree and a half since the 1800s. We're seeing an increase in these extreme weather events, and some people still choose to, to deny or remain skeptical about our role in it, and and that denial, unfortunately, is to some extent in some states or in some countries uh, preventing us from taking meaningful action. I'm hopeful, though, that you know market forces are, are taking over to a great extent. Texas is leading the U.S. in terms of wind power. It has uh, just an astronomical uh, potential for solar energy, of course, being as far south as it is. And the cost of renewable energy is coming down all the time uh, as technology improves and as more of the technology is adopted. Uh, battery technology is is making renewable energy more viable than ever. And we're seeing investors move in the direction away from fossil fuels and toward renewable energy. So these politicians are going to have a really hard time you know, preventing the move to a, a clean energy economy. Even so, we have an opportunity this year, a unique opportunity. At the end of the year, we're going to have uh, climate negotiators and, and heads of state from all over the world meet in Paris to hammer out an international climate agreement. Countries are already coming forward with their commitment to reducing uh, greenhouse gases, carbon pollution, and, and we're seeing um, some really substantial commitments being made, and we're hoping that you know, during the course of the next several months and leading up to that negotiation, that more countries will come on board and make commitments to to move to more sustainable sources of, of renewable energy. So, yeah, there are deniers out there, and unfortunately, some of them are elected officials. But, you know, this show is about using your voice. Well, you can use your voice to vote for those politicians out there that aren't denying climate change and that aren't trying to prevent action. Right. I mean, to me, it's there's like a certain extent of that. I, I really think some of these politicians don't actually believe the denial. They just are in the pockets of big fossil fuel industries. And so even though personally they may be like, OK, I, I understand the science. I'm a smart person. Um, and I really do think we're causing this. But like 
professionally, I'm going to say something else because, you know, money greases the wheels, as we spoke about earlier. And, you know, if the fossil fuel industry is giving me massive handouts in order for me to be able to use for my reelection, then I'm not going to say anything bad that may hurt the fossil fuel industry. So I'm going to come out against this, even if I personally believe that the science is correct. I mean, speaking of um, coming out against things, even if it's factual and based, um, well, that was a horrible segue. I just wanted to say we have Taman <laughs> um, on the line with us in Texas, friend of the show. Um, and we all know Taman does lean right. So, Taman, I'm going to put you on the air. I know you only have a few minutes, but, you know, you have a different perspective. You're calling in from Texas. You witnessed the floods firsthandedly. Um, what is your take on climate change? Do you think that the lawmakers in your state should stop denying climate change and start actually taking some action? Well, I think they should. The rhetoric has been awfully used. I think that they should not. Um, I think a lot of the rhetoric that's been used amongst uh, a lot of the politicians in Texas have been uh, very, uh, very odd, very extremely odd, because um, there, Texas has had a very unusual month, as you guys know. We've had a lot of rain, a lot, a lot of rain fall in the last uh, month. But before the rain came, it was a huge drought for about three years, and it was a very California-like drought. It was severe. When I got here in February, everybody was wondering where was water, where was some type of rain or water, and then, you know, March and April was bad. And then in May, uh, the month of May, it literally rained out near every day. It's, actually, it's, sun, it's sunny for the first time. It feels like in a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the politicians, I think this, it's something they should look into. On, and on how they, The question is, is how do you get it done without violating individual rights and without, without uh, violating state rights? But that is a good question. Um, Ryan, how would you actually respond to that? How can we put forth some solutions without, as Taman said, you know, violating individual rights? Well, you know, some of the arguments that have been used about climate action or, or some of the legislation or policies against climate action have been to, to put up barriers in, in terms of, remo- you know, moving toward renewable sources. So that's an easy place to start. Make your politicians, you know, tell them that you don't want these barriers. You want more choice, in fact, to be able to, to put solar on your house and, and potentially feed into the, to the grid. So, you know, there are a lot, there's a lot of obstruction to moving toward renewable sources. And, you know, there are solutions available that policy and otherwise that we can remove some of those barriers and make the, the transition easier and, and allow for more personal choice and freedom. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, it's all, like there's, I believe, in one of the states, it's actually illegal to put, they passed a law, the government said that you can't put solar panels on your own home. Like, the, and, and it was actually a Republican-led, very conservative legislature that did it. And to me, that's the antithesis of individual choice. Because if we care about individual choices, then you should have the opportunity to say, I want to put solar panels on my home. I want to put this wind farm, you know, if I have the money and I want to pay for it, and it's my individual choice, who is it the government? to say that I can't use this renewable source of energy. So there's definitely, it's two sides of that same coin. And and just to the point of, you know, respecting, you know, like the federal government, I think Jason had mentioned this one, t- one time when he was here, the federal government has the power to regulate certain things for the general welfare of the United States. And what it comes down to it is, you know what, I am a very much like very think civil liberties are very important, but sometimes there's a certain amount of 
civil liberty you have to give up for the whole, the greater good of the whole. And the greater good of the whole here is we as a country should care about this issue because it affects everybody in our country. And we can't be so selfish as to say, well, I'm a fossil fuel producer and I only care about my bottom line, you know, and so I don't care about how I'm affecting everybody else in the world because guess what? Everybody else in the world, they're your consumer. And so if you don't care about them and you only care about your bottom line and then, you know, climate change gets worse and worse and worse as, you know, I expect it will if we don't do anything and most scientists do, then at the end of the day, there's going to be no consumers to buy your product because, uh, you know, the scarce, like the, the issue of scarcity, as I pointed out. Darrell, do you want to chime in there? Yeah, I, I had a I had a question for 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 Mr. Towell, a, a, a general question. What are some areas in the United States and 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 the world in general that are most affected by uh, climate change? Well, you know, one of the one of the areas in the world that's most affected by climate change, and and they're already affected, are coastal areas. You know, sea levels are rising uh, around the globe. Um, roughly eight inches of sea level rise since the late 1800s. So coastal areas are are seeing even sunny day flooding now at high tide that they didn't experience before. So there's there's more infrastructure and, and more population that's being impacted by sea level rise. They're able to see that. They're, they're having to deal with it now in terms of, of uh, building seawalls or or raising structures along the coast because they're getting flooded at some recurrent interval now that didn't happen whenever they were built however long ago. So, you know, those are areas that we can see and we can feel right now. Uh, other parts of the globe, obviously, are, are dealing with these extreme weather events, and they're happening more frequently, And, and whether it be drought or, or heat waves or heavy rainfall and flooding. So, you know, I think folks are, are seeing that, um, seen their their homes flooded not once not twice but you know multiple times over a period of a few decades whereas you know 50 years 60 years ago maybe they didn't see that so so people are are experiencing it in a way that you know previous generations hadn't and and you know they they know they know something's going on and and it's something that they can't ignore because they're being directly impacted by it but in a certain sense i feel like they some not a, there's a small group of people out there that are literally floating down the river while saying, you know, this isn't being caused by climate change. Like I had mentioned at the beginning of the show, I saw a political cartoon this morning of a guy using holding using like it was a political cartoon of a guy using his like anti Obama, anti climate change, like climate change is a liberal plot. I think the right. sign said and he was like using it a ref while being like, honey, honey, I, I can't find the house anymore. So I think like I that, and that's my sort of my question for you. Uh, Ryan, which is how do we get to convince these people who are being affected now, who are seeing these things with their own eyes and yet are still convinced that, you know, this is, I don't know, biblical or, you know, something to that. I mean, like, those are some of the comments you're hearing, which is like, this is God is punishing us and stuff. And like, this has nothing to do with science. It's not about whether like, I mean, how do we reach? Is there a way to reach those people? Or is there just going to be a certain group of people that we don't reach? Well, what you have just described, you know, it explains why we have my organization and organizations like mine have our work cut out for us. And a big step in moving in the right direction is just education, education around the issue. You know, what is climate change? What sort of impacts are we having? What can we expect in the future? 
and you know actions that we can take to try to mitigate those those potential future future impacts of climate change. So education goes, I think, a long way to to changing that conversation, the tone of the conversation, and, and hopefully moving us in the right direction toward toward support for solutions. Now, you know, having said that, there's still a, a segment of the population that, for whatever reason, you know, ideology or, or otherwise, that just isn't convinced, and it's going to be very difficult to reach those those folks. And one of the reasons why they may not be convinced is that you have a very vocal sort of minority out there and, and certain media that, that you know, continues to, to give airtime to climate uh, change denialists. And, and certainly, you know, it can be very confusing for someone, for a viewer who's at home and, and hearing why they shouldn't believe the science when, like you mentioned earlier, the vast majority of scientists, something like 97% of those scientists that are working on this very issue are very clear that climate change is happening and that humans are the primary cause. I've seen some surveys, I've seen several surveys that, that show that the population, particularly the American population, they either haven't been exposed to that sort of statistic that, you know, scientists are not confused. The vast majority of them are not confused about the issue. They're very clear of what's happening and why it's happening. And, and so we're trying to really make a push to, to really inform the public that, you know, look, the, science, the scientists are not confused on this issue. They're, they're, they know what's happening. They know the cause, and, and they understand what we need to do to, to try to mitigate it. Yeah, no, definitely. I, just to give you guys two comments that we're getting from Politically Preposterous, obviously, if you have a comment, you can tweet us at Beheard Radio or give us a call, 212-650-6903. Um, we have Michael, who obviously is being sarcastic, but he says, the floods have nothing to do with climate change. God brought them on to punish, and then he put a blank, and he wrote fill in the blank, and I happen <laughs> to know Michael very well, and so I know he's being sarcastic here, but like that's sort of what I was just saying. Like There really are people that are taking that position. And then Marie says... Um, to answer our question, what will it take to end climate change denial, which is the question we posed right. as part of our segment, she said when climate change becomes a moneymaker, mm. when they start to realize yeah. that they can make money off of it like they can make off the fossil fuels. And I, I think our guest sort of mentioned that about renewables. And I think that's sort of Marie's point. When renewables really become the moneymaker, that's when the people will start taking this more seriously because they'll be like, oh, we can make money off of this. No, that, that's very true. And Ryan, we actually, I'm starting to wrap up this conversation. But before we do, um, can you just again just uh, take us home with what should and can be done on both a federal level to combat uh, climate change and what should be done in, in Texas? I mean, their level of preparedness didn't seem like it was there to me. And I feel like the politicians, because in this conservative state, uh, they're very anti-climate change. They're not doing anything about it to be prepared for the next disaster. Well, you know, it's interesting because every state, every community generally has what is called a hazard mitigation plan. It looks at the hazards that may impact that community or that state, and it comes up with a list of actions to try to mitigate those hazards. This is something that FEMA requires for states and communities to be eligible for various grants after disasters happen. FEMA has changed the requirements that beginning next year, states and communities have to address climate change in those plans. Texas right now, the plan, their hazard mitigation plan, does very little in terms of analysis around climate change and how that might impact 
hazards in the future. So, you know, states and communities are going to really be forced to grapple with this issue beginning next year as they update their plans. Internationally, like I mentioned, you know, in Paris, we have a real opportunity to for for countries to come together to look at what they can do in terms of reducing carbon pollution or increasing the move toward renewable energy to to combat climate change and, and to really take action. So we're hopeful that um, that countries will do the right thing and that they will be willing to negotiate. You know, you have even some of these small developing nations like the Philippines who see the urgency of even them. You know, they historically are responsible for very little of the carbon pollution in the atmosphere, but they see the need for every country to take action. So we're very hopeful that at the end of this year, we'll have a really a step forward in meaningfully addressing climate change. At an individual level, you know, work with us. We train climate leaders all around the globe. We have about 8,000 trained climate leaders. We equip them to be able to talk about the issue to to the, their networks, their friends, their family, their coworkers, the people that they see in everyday life. We have these trainings around the world. We have two trainings coming up, one in Toronto in July, another one in Miami coming up in September. Mr. Gore will be at these trainings, and, and he equips these leaders to go out in their community and to really press for action in their countries. And and we really see these sort of peer-to-peer conversations as a way to really motivate action out there in, at the individual level. Ryan, you have been a, a phenomenal guest with us today on the show. And um, we're really happy uh, with all the work and the progress that the Climate Reality Project is doing. Unfortunately, we do need to wrap up this segment um, again. But I just wanted to give you just time to tell our listeners how they can get in contact. I know you mentioned the trainings that are going on a- across the country. Um, what, what's the website or the Twitter handle that they should reach if they're interested? Well, you know, a good place to start is just to visit our website. You're at climaterealityproject.org. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, so you can certainly look for us there. But, you know, come in and learn about our organization and, and ways that you yourself can help take action against climate change. Yep. So definitely check that out again, guys. The Climate Reality Project. Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us here today. I just wanted to wrap up to give my final take on climate change and the climate change deniers. I mean, let's just think very, very matter of factly about this. Would you vote for or support an elected official who adamantly came down against the, the research between cancer and cigarette smoking? What if they were like, there's no, I mean, all, even though 99% of science supports this claim, we, you know, there's still that 0.1%. And, you know, what, what would you say? I mean, you can't even justify something like that. And that's literally what these people are doing. The climate change denier movement is very powerful and they're, and they're funded. They get paid to say stuff like this. Believe me. I mean, they just have no humanity because climate change is something that is hurting everyone in the world. But most uh, but most of all, they're hurting disproportionately. They're hurting people of color in vulnerable communities, the disenfranchised, the poor, the working class. These are the people that get hurt the most when it comes to climate change. And it's something that we all should be taking action and working towards as a global society, if you are a humane person with a heart, I think that you should stop 
taking this these backroom deals with the fossil fuel community and oil companies and start doing stuff that will help your constituents and your future grandchildren. And if you don't have grandchildren, they will still be succeeding generations. So let's take that in consideration. Um, but on that note, we are going to have to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll come back and Alyssa is going to give us a breakdown on why the Patriot Act will finally see 